After poaching a top executive from the Houston Astros front office, are the New York Mets ready for a decade of success? We'll discuss that more on today's edition, Locked on Mets. You are Locked on Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, we have a lot of front office talk to discuss. A couple big hires were made over the weekend. I'll break down the huge addition to the scouting department the first segment and the second segment, we'll talk about the hire to the player development department as well as just an overall look at how this front office is getting, in my opinion, too big to fail. We'll get through all of that. Then in the final segment, I want to talk a little bit more about what I addressed on Saturday's show with Brandon Woodruff. I have the ideal contract structure all mapped out, so I want to share that with you all. Before we get to any of it, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan. You also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Now, when the New York Mets hired David Stearns as the president of baseball operations, I have been speaking of a sustained window success. Now, you had the, the top flight executive that everything was going to follow suit from just making that hire. But it's not because David Stearns is going to make all the decisions himself. It's not that he's going to subtly, unilaterally change the, the way the team scouts, change the way the team develops players. He's going to make all the trades, make all the signs. It's all just in his brain. No, it's that he's a leader, a leader of a front office that now has immense resources compared to the front office he used to lead and led to a lot of success. That's as much about delegation, hire the right people, assign the right tasks, being the, the leader of, of men and women in that front office setting to you know, get everyone pulling in the same direction towards a common goal. What we've now seen in the you know month, I guess, since Stearns has taken over here is we've seen, is it, was it now? I guess it's maybe a month and a half. Maybe he's got six weeks in the job. We've seen him start to make hires to his front office. It's one of the most underrated aspects of this offseason, seeing that front office take shape. And the biggest hire potentially was made over the weekend. The Mets have hired Chris Gross from the Houston Astros. He headed up their scouting department. Now, the Astros have done pretty well in scouting over the past decade, you would say, right? And Gross has been a big part of that. Uh, Scott was 11 years, 11 or 12 years in their organization. Will Salmon and Chandler Rome did an amazing job breaking down uh, the hiring of both Chris Gross as well as Andy Green, who we'll get to in a minute. Um, in an article for The Athletic. So if you don't have an athletic subscription, I'm here for you now to share some of that information that they wrote about in their piece. 
So, you know, speaking to Gross, his exact title, we don't know yet, according to The Athletic, uh, but a person with knowledge of the move, they say, said he would be a vice president, which is a promotion from his job as the Astros director of amateur scouting. The funny thing about this is, for one, Gross, as they note here, was at the news conference where Joe Espada was announced as the manager just this past week on Monday. So if anyone thinks that Gross was out with the Astros, he wasn't expected to stay there. No, this is absolutely a poaching. This is the Mets hiring a guy that was very integral to that Astros front office, giving him a promotion of title and vice president, probably more money, and having him essentially take similar responsibilities because he was heading up scouting there. He's going to head up scouting here. It's just that title of vice president, which is pretty funny too because the Mets already brought in a vice president or a new one, and that is Eduardo Brizuela. He was the first hire that was announced by the Mets or I guess reported um, that the Mets have made under David Stearns. Brizuela worked with him in Milwaukee, actually spent more time in Milwaukee than Stearns did, 15 years. Uh, Brings international uh, scouting, minor league operations, player acquisition, sort of did it all. Jack of all trades. He also, in the World Baseball Classic, was the assistant general manager for Venezuela. So you got another Venezuela connection. You got your starting catcher, your manager, and your VP special assistant to David Stearns, one of many VPs. So that was the first hire, and it was a good one because obviously a guy that worked well with Stearns, that's what you want to see brought in, someone with a lot of experience. And in this article about Gross, they had a little bit about Brizuela. Um, This was a quote that they got from Matt Arnold at the GM meetings where it said, quote, he's phenomenal, such a great connector of people. I have nothing but praise for him. He's wonderful. He's a great, great evaluator. He's a great guy in player development. He's got a chance to be a future general manager. Good guy to have. People would probably say the exact same thing about Chris Gross, guy who could be a GM one day. Since he joined the team scouting staff, this is a really interesting stat that they pulled in that article by The Athletic. They say the Astros have drafted and signed, so international signings and and drafts, um, 64 players who have ended up appearing in the big leagues, which is in major league high. So that just shows you how well the Astros have scouted. Gross drafted Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford, two prospects that came to the Mets in the Justin Verlander trade. So he's going to feel really good about you know some of these prize prospects that he brought into the Astros organization that Dana Brown traded away. He gets them back. So you must feel great about that. Um, now, speaking of that relationship between Brown and Gross, again, really interesting reporting from uh, Salmon and who was the other writer of this article? Uh, Chandler Rome for, for The Athletic. Um, you know, talking about their relationship, essentially Dana Brown, who had a similar role in the Braves organization overseeing the draft, he came over and he wanted to continue to have a big voice in the draft. Now, apparently there wasn't really any contention there. They learned from each other. Uh, you know, technically it was still, uh, Gross's draft, but Brown just had more influence than the previous GMs. Now, this is an interesting quote from Gross about that relationship. That's in the article. It says, quote, the level of detail he puts in, referring to Brown, uh, and to the little things as far as how they warm up, how they interact with teammates. I think we've been able to learn from each other. And in that aspect, um, we have always had it very important in our process, but I think getting an extra source here and there, making sure we're thorough with everything we do 
and really try to focus on their background, where they come from, uh, whether they play other sports, just how he weighs some of that stuff has been an interesting thing. So let's just think about the sources of knowledge that are now you know, being combined to the Mets front office. You have David Stearns in Brazuela from the Brewers. You have Gross, who has the information from the Astros. And now he just spent a year working up close with Dana Brown, who was working in the Braves front office. So, you know, obviously none of this stuff is complete industry secret. A lot of these front offices have similar thought processes. But you're getting a lot of people who have really excelled for different organizations coming together to work for the New York Mets. It's just way more resources that are available to the Mets than what they had previously under the Wilpon-led group and then leading into a franchise that under Steve Cohen the last couple of years just didn't have that stability. None of these guys took – think about it. The two guys that were just brought in theoretically would have been better candidates to be the Mets general manager than Billy Epler was. Theoretically. I mean, Epler had GM experience but failed GM experience. You know, these might have been guys that they would have jumped at to hire as GMs and maybe they had no interest in taking a position where there was, again, you, you, people were interviewing for a GM job where Steve Cohen was telling them that a, a president was going to come in ahead of them. And even if there could have been some hush-hush talk that, that was David Stearns, you don't know for sure it's going to happen. So now that Stearns is in place, you have that stability and all of this follows. You get so many more bright minds that are now entering this front office which should point to a lot of success. Now, the funny thing is there was also still some good minds in the front office from the Mets previously running the draft, even though gross is coming in and is going to you know, sort of take over the Mets have done really well in the draft. If you think about their first round picks, you know, Pete Armstrong was sent away, but he's a, a really high end top prospect right now who did debut at the end of the season. You know, Jared Kelnick was a top draft pick that has debuted in the big leagues. Hasn't had, the most success did have a good, a decent year this past season. But again, a good pick. Pete Alonzo, first round pick. Jeff McNeil, drafted later down, developed into a really good player. There's been a lot of really solid picks the Mets have made. Jet Williams looks like a real find as he's skyrocketed up the prospect rankings this past year. So speaking of the people in place, you had Mark Tremuda, Tommy Tanos, and Drew Toussaint, who were all part of that scout department that did really well. Tremuda left to the Blue Jays, but they still have Tanos and Toussaint in place, and they're going to be part of this front office still. Toussaint was recently promoted to the director of amateur scouting, so he's probably going to keep that role, but now Gross is going to be some vice president ahead of him. Good. More information, more people working together. Tanos is now, uh, you know, who's been in the Mets front office forever. He's going to be another vice president, apparently, a lead, a lead or a large advisory, VP role, lead evaluator. Who knows? Everyone can be a vice president. It doesn't matter. But the Mets front office is just getting so much talent getting brought in that, again, you would think that this is going to be a grounds for a lot of future success. So we got scouting covered here. Uh, I want to talk about the other hire which was Andy Green for player development, and then just also sort of look at on a grand scale what all this means for the Mets franchise because it's getting to the point where I did a podcast right after the David Stearns hire, how you know the excuses were leaving with David Stearns, and it's feeling that way even more so with these hires. The excuses for the Mets not to be a top-tier franchise, they're leaving. 
everything is in place for the Mets to find a sustained run of success. And I'll explain why a little bit more in the next segment. Before we get to that, though, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in the action. You got the NFL season, college football, the NBA as well. There's so many different places where you can find some betting options available to you, and those include betting on the spread, player props, over-unders, and more. I'm a big NBA fan, and you know sometimes you're rooting for your team or you're watching a given game, and you want to get that extra rooting interest. You want to root for the star player to get a certain amount of points combined with a certain amount of rebounds. And with the money line, the team winning, you parlay it, you get a lot of juiced up odds, and you can end up winning big. And again, if you want to get some bonus bets, that $5 winning money line bet, just pick the best possible money line that you can find where you just know they're going to win. You're going to get the $150 in bonus bets. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to kick off the NFL season. Again, that is fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top stories in sports every day with local experts on Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. I mentioned the Chris Gross hire, as well as the Eduardo uh, Bruzuela hire. Now we have the final hire that's been made that we know up to this point, and that is Andy Green. You're familiar with Andy Green. He has interviewed to be the Mets manager, I think, a couple of times now. In this article from The Athletic, they said he was actually reportedly part of the interview process to be the Mets manager in this last run. And Carlos Mendoza got the job. But for Andy Green to make that level of impression and still end up in the organization, I think it speaks highly on both of them. I think it speaks highly on green of course because the Mets really wanted to bring him into their organization but also it speaks highly of Mendoza because green is a former manager and so if they liked green enough to hire him in a different role you have to think they respect his knowledge as uh, you know a baseball uh, person that they would you know maybe have him far along in the process to be the manager and so if you would have had someone with experience but Mendoza just blew him away that much again I think that that shines brightly on Mendoza and what he's going to bring to the table in that role. And also I think green is a really nice fit in his role, potentially leading player development from the Mets. It's not entirely clear, you know, if he's got the the top role, it does seem to be the case that he's going to be you know, in charge of player development to a certain extent. He's coming from the Cubs. He was a bench coach on David Ross's staff. You imagine Craig council is probably filling out a whole new staff who knows if green was going to be back. He gets an opportunity to jump to the Mets and you know be part of player development, something he has done in the past. He won two Manager of the Year awards, according to The Athletic here, um, in AA. So experience, obviously, working in the minors, uh, has a history of developing good infielders. He was an infielder himself. He worked as a third base coach with the Diamondbacks. 
imagine he probably had infield duties there um, and, you know, managed the, the Padres again. So to have Andy Green doing player development, I think that's a really good hire. He's clearly someone who you know, is well-respected in the industry, and, and that's just the running theme here. It's a lot of hires that are well-respected in the industry, which gets to my overarching point on where the Mets front office is at this stage, which is it's kind of getting too big to fail. And I know that that's well, we'll, we'll knock on wood a couple of times there. Um, so, you know, people who are superstitious don't panic that I just said that out loud. But again, it, it gets back to the excuses going away. Okay. Excuse number one no president of baseball operations. That's a role that other teams have. Mets have a president of baseball operations now, and he's reportedly a pretty good one. Excuse number two would be like, are they good at scouting? Well, the Mets have been good at scouting, and now you poach the Astros. You know, head of scouting. They've been great. Then you look at, can you develop players? Well, you bring in Andy Green to head that up, and you just hope in general that all the resources that are getting poured into the organization that will help player development, like building that pitching lab and, uh, you know, being able to uh, really help, you know, the all these guys in the offseason, during the season, really modify their arsenal and optimize it. That's massive. The resources just in general that are important to upgrading minor league facilities, all that stuff, and then just making the right hires. And I trust that this is not the end for David Stearns hiring people. And these might just be the only people that are reported. Who knows what other hires he makes, whether it's the high-end guys or that interview he he during the interview, geez, the intern he interviews, you know, the 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 David Stearns of you know, 15, how old is he? 38, 15 years ago, yeah, 15, 20 years ago. You know, the, the college student, right? That that is some whiz out of Harvard or Yale or MIT. I don't know. But uh, you know, that that nerd that comes into the office that David Stearns interviews and it says this guy's gonna be the next me in 20 years, and he's crunching numbers on, on the floor there in the front office, and you know, he's a, a massive addition. You, you just don't know. So Again, I just trust David Stearns in all facets of leading this club. Obviously, there's going to be building out a roster. And unfortunately for Stearns, or maybe fortunately, that's how he's going to be judged. At the end of this season, at the end of every season, there's a win-loss record. And if the Mets finish this season and they're uh, you know, 75 and 87 again, I believe that was their record this season, yeah, he's going to be judged for that. And that's going to be a, a, a stain on Stearns' resume. And he can't hide from that. And that's why I, I promise you the Mets aren't going to just sit on their hands and do nothing this year. They're going to be addressing the major league roster in, in a pretty significant way. I, I honestly feel that. And I, I think the, the evidence there is in the fact that they've cleared out their 40-man roster, which speaking of, if you listen to the last show that I did for Saturday, I did miss misspeak there. Sean Reed Foley has just disappeared from LB.com's uh, active roster page or 40 man roster page for the Mets. Don't know why, but they're actually sitting at 28 active players, not 27. So 12 spots on the 40 still point being a lot of additions are going to be made to that 40 man roster. They're going to be imperative to how the Mets bounce back next season. So again, th that's going to be how he's judged. I think if you're thinking at more of a long-term view though, the scouting has gotten better. The player development has gotten better. If you continue to make the right hires and place the people in the right roles in the organization, 
you're going to find that success. I think the proof is in the pudding that over time, you have the right process in place. And I think Stearns is adept at finding that right process and you know making it work. You would imagine that the Mets are going to be good and good for a long time. I seriously believe that to be the case. And yet, as much as I believe it to be the case, and hey, Stearns is a Mets fan, he should understand this. There's still part of me that as I say it and the words come out of my mouth and then I hear it reverberate in my ears, I still don't believe it entirely because it's the freaking Mets. That's the crazy part. Like, again, like you look at it on paper and, you, and you, it's almost the same way that we looked at the roster this season, right? It, everything checked off. And okay, they got... Oh, starting pitching depth. They got a lot of that. Even a couple guys go down, they'll be good. And the bullpen looks great. We checked that off and the lineup. And then it just didn't work. So there's still that part of me that's just like, ah, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. But <laughs> again, like this guy was amazing running the draft for the Astros for all these years. Is he suddenly going to come to the Mets and suck at it? Like you don't think he would. It's the same position. It's just a different franchise. Stearns. Had a well-run machine in Milwaukee, and one of his top executives there has come to join him. Those two guys can't make it happen in New, in New York with the resources, with again the resources, the money to be able to not only you know do really well in the scouting and player development part of it, but access your roster whenever you need to in free agency. We'll see, but when I say the Mets are getting too big to fail. I believe that with my brain, um, and I'm hoping that in a year or two I can start to believe that with my heart as well. But, uh, you know, Mets fan, it is what it is. I don't know. I was about to say speaking of heart, but that doesn't make sense for the transition to the next segment. Brandon Woodruff, I mentioned this on Saturday's show, and I was spitballing. I have since wrote an article about this for JustBaseball.com about the interesting profile that he now presents as a free agent, and it'll have some landing spots in there. It's going to be a lot of uh, fun if you ever want to check out that written work. Uh, but I want to take the contract structure. I've hammered it out a little bit more than how I did in the last show. So I want to revisit that, and we'll get to it in a minute. First, though, another word from our sponsors. The free agent market is open. Aranola was the first domino to fall, which means the hot stove is simmering. If you want to be plugged into all the latest with the New York Mets, become a Locked On Mets Insider. This is a texting service where you get updates from me whenever the New York Mets make a big move. There's a rumor. If I just have a hot take, I want to send out and send it to the exclusive everyday listeners that have subscribed to be a Locked On Mets Insider. This is the place to get into the action with all of the latest. You can find a link in the episode description if you want to join or go to subtext.com slash locked on Mets. Now, I just mentioned Aaron Nola signed a seven-year, $172 million deal to return to the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing for the Mets. Obviously, in some respects, yeah, the Phillies remain status quo. They're going to be a problem next year. But I don't know if I saw Nola ending up on the Mets. And even though I, there's a follow-up report today that they're going to be pretty aggressive on Yoshinobu Yamamoto, I just don't foresee the Phillies spending to that degree. I, I don't believe it. If it happens, I'll be wrong. I'll have egg on my face. Fine. 
to me, this should theoretically take the Phillies out of the top tier starter market. I, I think they're going to be set with Wheeler, with Nola, um, you know, with Ranger Suarez as their three. And then, you know, they'll see if they can maybe get a better four. But I, I just can't imagine with the money they're spending on not only Nola and Wheeler, but also Taiwan Walker getting like 18 million or whatever his deal is. I don't think they're going to be in the market to get a top tier starter, which again should take one of the contenders for Yoshinobu Yamamoto off the board. So bad news for the Mets and the fact that Nola Wheeler has proven to be a really good duo that can win a world series. You know, they got close last couple of years here. Still, I think for the Mets overall free agent plans and the targets that we think they have probably closer to a good thing than a, a bad thing. I would say. Now, the Phillies could be in the market for Brandon Woodruff if they want to sit on a guy to maybe replace Zach Wheeler if he leaves them in free agency in 2025. But the Mets, I think, are the top team that will be in the running to get Woodruff's services. Now, again, I talked about this a bit on Saturday's bonus edition that I did after Daniel Vogelback and Louis Guillaume got cut. It's my third segment, I believe, second and third segment. I think I talked about Woodruff a little bit. Basically, here is the opportunity the Mets have. Here's a guy who, since 2020, has pitched to a 3.10 ERA. Actually, excuse me. His career ERA is 3.10. Reading my own article wrong here. Um, He has pitched to a 2.76 ERA across his last 81 starts since 2020. Really impressive what he's been able to do this past year. He had a shoulder injury. It kept him out for months and months and months on end. He made 11 starts in the season, pitched to a 2.28 ERA. Fortunately, at the end of the year, he got hurt again. They were hoping he wouldn't need surgery, but fortunately, he did need surgery, which was going to sideline him for, they say, most of, if not all, of 2024. And because he was a year away from free agency, the Brewers decided to cut bait and non-tendered him to avoid having to pay him north of $11 million through arbitration. Now, an interesting note that I found from digging some more digging on this, they could have offered him about 40% of last year's salary and then took him to arbitration. Um, so they could have said, hey, we're only going to pay him $6.5 million, and you take him to arbitration and you say, hey, he's hurt. He's only worth $6.5 million. But that would have been a really crummy thing to do. Uh, would have been worse than just non-tendering him and let him you know, test the waters. So that's ultimately the route they choose to go here. Now. He is a free agent. He can sign with any team. I mentioned this on Saturday's show, the comparison between Woodruff and Chad Green. Chad Green, a top-end reliever, was hurt. The Blue Jays signed him to a deal that essentially allowed them to have inside access to keep Green if he got healthy. That's basically what happened. Now, if you look at the Chad Green deal, I realized as I was doing some research on this article I wrote, we could just multiply everything by two and the numbers make sense. So this is the proposed contract for Brandon Woodruff. Chad Green got a two-year, $8.5 million deal. That's what was guaranteed when he put pen to paper. It was $2.25 million in 2023 and then a $6.25 million player option in 2024. That was what was guaranteed. But there was a very complicated option structure. So after the season, after he played out the first year of it, the first option trigger was the Blue Jays' three-year, $27 million club option. The second trigger, if they declined, which they did, 
was that player option. That's how you get to the guaranteed money, $6.25 million. And then the third option, the one they settled on, was a two-year $21 million deal, so $10.5 million per. So if we double everything, you actually get a pretty clear picture of what a guy like Brandon Woodruff could get in free agency right now. So that's a two-year $17 million deal. Remember, he was about to make north of $11 million in arbitration. He now gets a guaranteed $17 million. But in the year that he's hurt, if you multiply green salary by two, it would be $4.5 million. I'm rounding it up to five. So you're going to say he's going to get paid $5 million to rehab this year with a $12 million player option that he can take. So that's where you get to that guaranteed $17 million. But where it, get interesting, where it gets interesting is a three-year option that the Mets would have the first right to exercise if they want to. So what does that mean? You take Green's three years, $27 million, multiply that by two and not the years, just the dollars. That gets you to three years, $54 million, $18 million per season, which would be an absolute steal if Brandon Woodruff gets back to the picture that he was prior to this injury. But there's risk. There's a lot of risk in taking a guy off a shoulder surgery who's a starting pitcher and guaranteeing him three years. Same thing with the Blue Jays. There was a lot of risk in that three years, $27 million. They took a deal for $21 million. So they could have, for $6 million more, gotten a third year, and they chose not to do it because there's so much risk there. So that's an option that likely wouldn't be picked up, but if you're the Mets, it allows you to, hey, if, Baron, if Brandon Woodruff is ahead of schedule and he actually pitches for the Mets in late September and in the playoffs and looks great, man, what a contract. That That's absolute best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario, he looks awful off the rehab, can't make it back. It's in doubt about how he's going to return, and ooh, $12 million player option he's going to pick up. And that's you know, not what you'd want, but it's worth the risk of that, that upside. And if he did... I'm pretty sure that that guaranteed money would still be the average annual value. So it's not like you'd be $12 million on your luxury tax books in 2025. It would be the eight and a half million. You split that 17 guaranteed, you know, by two. Now let's just say it's the exact same scenario as Chad Green. Woodruff, you know, makes it back, makes a couple starts, but there's still not a lot of certainty there. And it gets to that final option where the Mets decline the three years. They're just not so sure they want to guarantee that third year at $18 million. Too much risk there. Woodruff declines the player option. He, he wants to test the market, doesn't want to take that $12 million, which is a little more attractive still. Or maybe he would take it in that scenario. Who knows? It would then revert back to the Mets, and they would get an option, which would be two years, $42 million. So again, You'd be weighing the fact that you could have him at three years, 54. But if you didn't like the risk, two years, you get it. End up having him sign, come aboard, and you get two years of Brandon Woodruff at $21 million per, which again, if he pitches the way he did prior to the injury, it would be a steal. It's a risky proposition, but what the Blue Jays did with Chad Green is they mitigated a lot of that risk because, again, worst case scenario, after being armed with a year of knowledge, of how he responded to the injury, they could have wiped their hands clean after that player option season. The Mets, again, theoretically could do the same. And if you wondered on Woodruff's side, like why would he take that contract? Why would he potentially put himself in a position where rehab works out incredibly well? His shoulder is 100%. He makes some starts in you know late September, 
is starting a playoff game for the Mets, which would be remarkable. I'm not counting on that at all, but I'm just saying, hey, this is like the agent talking to him about the downside of signing this deal. You know, in that scenario, you give up three years of your free agency at a discounted rate. Oof, it hits hard in some respects because this is a guy that if he had stayed healthy and made his way to free agency, he was looking at, I mean, look, Noah just signed for 24 and a half. I think Woodruff's a better pitcher than Aaron Nola, honestly, when he's writing on the mound. So yeah, 25 million per, probably a good starting point for him. And again, you know, Nola got seven years. I'm not saying he definitely would have gotten that, but again, drastic difference from taking a three-year $54 million deal, but he's hurt. He's he's had shoulder surgery. So if you're telling him that, hey, the the, it sounds bad to say worst case scenario, but hey, the Mets pick up this three-year option, that's going to limit what you theoretically could make. It's still guaranteeing the guy close to $60 million, which is life-changing money and way more than he's made throughout his career. So I think this is a real viable possibility. I don't know what the structure is, the Chad Green structure. It could just be a straight two-year deal. You know, it could be a a, a two-year deal or, or a one-year deal with with you know, a couple options. Like like the, the safest risk of it would just be, you know, you pay him the five million that we're throwing out there, and then the second year, if it's either guaranteed at a certain number, if it's fifteen million dollars or it's uh, an option. So maybe the Mets have an option to, to pick up a $20 million team option and they decline that the player gets that $12 million player option, like something like that. It obviously could end up being what happens here, but I think the Chad green scenario is such a perfect parallel that it really informs an interesting conversation about what a complicated Woodruff structure could look like. And why the Mets should probably go for it if that's the case, because they'd be playing on David Stern's relationship with him. And if Stern's believes in him as a pitcher, that he could bounce back on something like this. And you could eventually get to the point where this guy's healthy and you decide to pick that thing up. And it's Brandon Woodruff is starting alongside Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Kodai Senga at 18 million per. I mean, that could be massive. For the New York Mets in 2025, 2026, and 2027. And it's worth the risk of doing the deal, in my opinion. Anyway, we'll have more on that if we get a report about Woodruff and the Mets having interest. I imagine the Woodruff thing happens later in the offseason. I think a lot of the other dominoes fall first, but we'll see. We will see. Um, Tomorrow, I think I'm going to do an episode that was pitched to me from one of the Locked On Mets insiders uh, through our texting service, which was building the dream Mets of 2024. So we're going to go as pie in the sky as possible to build the Mets roster should be a lot of fun. Make sure you tune into that episode. You can follow rate review. So you don't miss it. Um, Subscribe as well on YouTube. If you're watching there, we want to get to 10,000 subs. So please hit that subscribe button. Uh, If you want to be one of locked on Mets insiders, again, you can find a link in the episode description. Uh, Go go to subtext.com slash locked on Mets. And now that Come to the end of the episode. Why don't you check out the only 24-7 national sports streaming channel on YouTube that's Locked On Sports Today, which is here for you with 24-7 coverage of the top stories in sports with local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. So go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever 
national sports 24 7 streaming channel